welcome. I greet you in the name of my Savior. Um, I'm happy beyond. Uh, I'm happy that people are not talking and they're listening to me. Uh, that is a blessing and an answer to prayer. So let's prove Jesus does hear our prayers when we ask Him. Uh, that's a blessing. Um, welcome. I greet you in my Savior's name. Um, it is so encouraging to me when um, there are moments when I open up God's Word and rather than looking for something to share with y'all, God really gives me something to share with y'all. And that normally works out that He's I'm not looking for something for myself as much as it is life, something that I really needed to come. God just gives me something. He just speaks into my life something that I really needed to hear. And um, nothing wrong with searching the scriptures, looking for buried treasure. That's, that's, that's what I do uh, on a daily basis for me and for y'all, for your sake and for mine. And uh, that, I'd say 40 weeks a year, that's what I share. But every once in a while, God just speaks to me and gives me something that I feel like is a real word for my life and for your life. And um, that's the case this morning. Um, so I want to pray with us or for us one more time. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, I already asked you early this morning to honor what you said. In uh, Isaiah, I think it's 55, and in John uh, 6 or 7, and in Revelation 22, where in all three of those books, you declare, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. Lord, the only people that will come and drink are people that recognize that they are thirsty. And I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to... Make us aware of the thirst that's down in our souls. Make us thirsty if we have tried to satisfy that thirst with junk and crap and uh, uh, just unhealthy, uh, unsatisfying things that don't last. I pray, God, that you'd open our eyes and our ears and our hearts today. The enemy is committed to the destruction of the relationships in our lives that you cherish most. He is committed to the destruction of the relationships in our lives that will help us experience the most life and the most abundance. And I pray that somehow today you would do something within us that would um, be a barrier against that attack. Would be a healing uh, against that wound. Please God, do something in our lives today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to be speaking today about Something the Lord really revealed to me, um, like I said earlier, that I never really saw before. I knew it sort of generally, but as far as a practical, specific focus that the Holy Spirit wants me to have in my life, I never saw this before. And um, it has to do with me and my wife, me and Cheryl A. Um, and it has to do with Chuck and Nancy. And Sarah and Juan, and uh, John and Ashley, and um, the, anybody else in here that's married. But I, I beg you in Jesus' name to not sell yourself short by sitting there and going, but I'm not married. So this doesn't really apply to me. Well, I, I understand that feeling because I've heard things before in church that I just didn't think it applied to me, you know. Um, but I would just appeal to you a couple of things before we get into this. Number one, you don't know if you're not going to get married. 
And some of you that have sworn off marriage for various reasons, for reason, you you can blame you. But nonetheless, um, uh, for whatever reason, you you uh, you sworn off marriage for various reasons. But I'm just telling you, you don't know if God might down the road have somebody for you. Uh, and you might say, "Well, I don't need anybody." Well, maybe they need you. Did you ever think of that? Just because you're sitting there going, well, I don't, I'm fine by myself. Maybe there's somebody that God loves so much that the other person's not fine by themselves and they need you. And the other thing that I would say is, for those of you that might be tempted to think this doesn't apply to you, um, I hope the Lord blesses you with children and grandchildren. And uh, I have no... Um, I have no greater desire in my life than to intentionally, if I'm allowed daily, teach my grandson to love the Word of God and to someday love his wife. I believe that is my calling. I believe that is my responsibility. I believe that someday God will judge me on how well I've done that. And so, let's say you're not married and you're not going to get married. You're going to show them, well, bully for you. But you might have nephews and nieces and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and other type of relational scenarios where you could teach them this principle and it might change their life. So, don't miss what God might have for you just because you're in a specific demographic that might not see the connection here, okay? Um, where, I'm, where this is coming from is, uh, those of you that are reading through the Bible with me, we read the little book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, depending upon the, uh, the way they translate that title, uh, a week ago. Or so. I've forgotten exactly. And uh, you know I read through that book. And I had a conversation with somebody. Not too long ago. And they were saying. Well, you know what's all the theological implications. Of Song of Solomon. And I said none. Talking about the church. None at all. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about Jesus. It's not talking about the church. It's not talking about uh, any of that kind of shenanigans. Song of Solomon is a very simple poem. That was written by a man and a woman. Who were passionately head over heels crazy in love with each other. And that's what it's about. That's what it's for. And it's supposed to be read as a means of challenging us to want that and to strive for that as well. And it's an incredible book. I'm not much of a poetry dude. My wife, that's her expertise. But a blind man can read that little poem and, and, and not miss the point. Those two people were madly in love with each other. The, it amazed me in a fresh way the love and the intimacy that that couple possessed. Let me read to you just a little, I think it's two verses, from Song of Solomon chapter 4. Listen to what they say. The husband's talking. He says, you've captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold my heart hostage with a single glance. Your love delights me. You are my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume more fragrant than spices. Your lips are as sweet as nectar. My bride. Now, this is the point that this is the part that spoke to me. You are my private garden. You are my treasure. You are my bride. You are my secret spring. You are my hidden fountain. 
Man, I read that. Whenever I read it a few days ago, a week ago. And I had I've read that passage a zillion times. That's dang near not an exaggeration. And I had never seen those words. You are my private garden. My treasure. My bride. You are my secret spring. My hidden fountain. Do you see the, the, the imagery? Do you see the, the message that, the, that the, the, the husband is saying there? He looks at his wife and he goes, You're my secret private fountain and garden. What's he saying? He's saying that nobody else knows about this garden or this fountain. Nobody else goes to this garden. It's, it's, it's a place that I exclusively go to find delight and satisfaction and nourishment and the quenching of my thirst. Such Love, such intimacy, such passion that this man says is exclusively between the two of us. And man, I read that that morning. <laughs> I won't say that, but anyway, surely had already gone to school or I'd have gone and attacked her. Uh, but, but anyway, um, I... I uh, I read that, and there was just this longing that welled up in me to want that to describe my relationship with Sherry. There was a, a, an awareness that just came into my mind and heart that God wanted me, me, to be the initiator, the creator of that kind of a relationship. Don't wait on Sherry. You initiate it. You create it. You be the one that starts the deal going. But God wanted me to be the initiator of that kind of a relationship. And I also read it. And as I was pondering it, I, the, the awareness... That I don't have any real excuse. Not to take the challenge. Because I've been the beneficiary. Of someone else. Feeling that way about me. The Lord Jesus Christ. He delights in me like that. He pursues me like that. He, he finds great joy in the intimacy and the love that we have in our relationship. He's modeled for me what this kind of exclusive intimacy and love looks like. And I don't have, uh, Jesus, I'm not sure what it looks like. I'm not sure what this means. I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring this out. And Jesus, oh, no, 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 you know exactly. You know exactly what it means. You know exactly what it looks like. Because I've shown you by the way I have related to you. In Ephesians 5, that passage that uh, Gail read. I didn't, I didn't call you Robin. Uh, that Gail read. Uh, uh, I want to I summarize or read a couple of verses of that. Uh, in Ephesians 5 it says, As Christ loves the church, so a man... Ought to love his wife. As he loves his own body. For he who loves his wife. Loves himself. After all. No one ever hated it. For we. Feeds it and cares for it. As Christ does the church. For we are members. Of his. Body. What's Paul saying? He's saying that the same exclusive attention and devotion and time and sacrifice that I would give, the same priority that I would give to my body and the same time 
and attention and sacrifice and priority that Jesus gives to me. That's the way God wants me to relate to my wife. The way I daily get up and I brush my teeth and I take a shower and I put on deodorant and I put on clean clothes and I go in and I feed myself and I go and take a long walk and, and, and exercise, which I enjoy doing. And then I, I fill my day with things that I want to do. And so many of them, they're for my benefit. They're what I want to do. I would do them if I, I was in a different city, married to a different person, with different friends, and with a different job. I would still do them because I want to do them. With that same commitment to doing things to me. And I'm not even, don't tell my wife, I'm not even a girl. Lord have mercy. Think about the time. That is invested in your... Kim Bowden, she went on an a, a, a all-day marathon deal yesterday down at Mud Island where she was... No telling what she was doing. Uh, but it was... It's because you love doing that stuff. And that's, that's a good thing. Paul is saying that you and I have been called of God to seek to give the exclusive time and sacrifice and intimacy to our mates that we devote to ourselves. And then I'll take it up another. But the truth is, so many times, so many days, so many moments in the day, I don't relate to my wife that way. I'm not trying to sound humble. I'm not trying to sound like we're all in the sun. I'm telling you, uh, my, my, I've told you all before, my daughter loves me like nobody. But she can bust my chops. <laughs> Golly, Bill. And I, braved, I made the grave error of raising her to think that she could actually talk to me truthfully. That's a mistake. Uh, not really, but I, there are moments when I think it is. And the other day, she's... She, I, Shirley said, you're just being grumpy. And I said, I'm never grumpy. And Rainey was standing there and she goes, Dad, you're grumpy a lot. And I, I couldn't believe she said that. But anyway, there are many, many moments in a day and days in a week and weeks in a month when I do not make my wife I don't give her the exclusivity of attention and passion and intimacy and love that God has called me to do. I get busy caring for everybody else in the world to the neglect of caring for the one that God has specifically told me to give here to the one that deserves it most. We've been married for 38 years. Happiest 34 years. No joke. No joking. Um, we've been married for you know we've been married a long time. And my wife, if you've ever met her more than once, you know she is one of the most strong, capable, self-sufficient people. She's so stinking smart. At the end of the day, she doesn't need me. Or at least I get in my mind that she doesn't need me. And she's not a complainer. I'm sorry, some of you are married to complainers. And I don't know what you do. That, that's hard. That, that's hard to be married to a complainer. I'm not. And I'm thankful. But one of the problems with being married to a non-complainer is that if she's not complaining, I get in this thing where she doesn't need anything. She's fine. We're doing great. And that's not good. Um, I take her for granted. I want to learn to love her. I want to learn to love her in a way that communicates that you 
are the exclusive person in my life that I love in a way that is different, that is on another level than every other love that I have in my life. My wife would say, oh, of course he loves me. But I'm just telling you that there are seasons in my 38 years with her where I know she had to have wondered, not do I love her, but do I love her differently on a different level than I love everybody else. And that's what Solomon is talking about, and that's what Paul's talking about. Loving your mate in a way that that's, that's the garden I go to. That's the fountain I go to. I don't go to other gardens. I don't go to other fountains. No other fountains and no other gardens are going, well, Larry comes to me too. And you don't have to let your mind go into the gutter. You don't have to let your mind go into, into terrible places when I say that. Our kids can be our garden. Our parents can be our fountain. Our job can be our garden. Our hobbies. You don't have to make it you know, horrible. But what Solomon and what Paul are saying is, Am I striving to create a relationship with my wife? And you could turn it around and say with your husband. But I'm telling you what God told me. <laughs> okay? So you'll have to apply it however you want to. But God told me, Larry, is Sherry the exclusive place? A place that is so unique so private, so separate. And that's where you go to meet the needs, the emotional needs, the physical needs. And I don't just mean sex. I mean just the physical needs of touch, the, physical, the, the need for words, the need for time, the need for, for laughter. Is she the one that you go to in a way that makes it so special, so unique, that it could be described as exclusive? The Bible is filled with shadows, if you will, of what I'm talking about. This isn't something that's just ran, that's in one little... No, the Bible is filled with, these, with examples of this unique love that is so different that it makes other type loves almost unworthy of being called love. That's what I'm trying to say. Give you an example. Abraham, the Bible says, loved Ishmael. He loved Ishmael. But not like he loved Isaac. Jacob loved Rachel. Rachel. Uh, uh, Rachel and Leah. Yeah, he loved, no, sorry. Jacob loved Leah. The Bible says he did. And he did love her. But not like he loved Rachel. Jacob loved all of his sons, right? But not like he loved Joseph. There was, did he love these people? Did Abraham love his other son? Yes. Did uh, Jacob love his other wife? Did he love his other boys? Yes. But everybody knew who he loved. The other boys grumbled about it. They, there was nobody going, I wonder if he loves me the best. No, no, no. Nobody. There was no vote. There was no poll taken. Everybody knew in this family who, who was in a place of unique honor and love and devotion. Ruth, you could talk about how Ruth felt about Naomi. There's no reason to think that Ruth didn't love her mom and dad. But when they leave my family and my devotion, it wasn't, well, I'm struggling with whether I should leave my family and my devotion to my parents to, to go with them. No, no, no. Naomi said, bye. 
Because I'm going with the person that I love in such a unique way that it makes my other love relationships not look like love. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Bible says, God has chosen you as his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the earth. Did that mean that God didn't love all the peoples of the earth? Of course he did. The Bible's replete with declarations that God loves everybody that he created. But nobody's confused in the Old Testament on who God loved. He loved Israel. Did he love the Moabites and the Ishmaelites and the Amorites and all that? Of course he did. And the Assyrians and the Babylonians, he loved them all. And there were displays of love that he showed all these people. But his love for Israel was absolutely unique. The relationship that Jesus and uh, uh, his father had with each other. Jesus and his father love us. But at the end of the day, Jesus' love for his father and his father's love for Jesus makes that love absolutely unique. John 5 says, Father, I'm sorry, the father loves the son and shows him all things. John 10 says, I and my father are one. It, have, you ever, have you ever related that back to Genesis 2? Jesus says, I and my father are one. Two, we have such an intimacy in our relationship, such a uniqueness, such an exclusive relationship that the two of us look like one. Isn't that funny how that's almost the exact same wording that God uses for Adam and Eve in Genesis 2? He created a man and he created a woman and the two shall become one. John 17 says, May they, Jesus is saying, Father, may they, your children, experience intimacy with you as you and I have intimacy with one another. For you are in me and I am in you. And Matthew 11 says, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. I, all of a sudden, this just jumps out at me. Oh my gosh! I'm, nobody knows the Father, God the Father, like the Son does. And no one knows the Son like the Father does. And that's exactly what, what Paul and, and Solomon are saying. I should have a relationship with my wife and her with me where we know things about each other, express things to one another, experience things together, that no one can say, I get that. The declaration should be... I, I know John and Ashley Rimmers well. But the relationship that God wants them to have is one where the things they, that they truly experience, the level that they, the depth and the richness of the life that they experience together should be of a nature that I could never say, I, I knew that about y'all. But they say, nobody knows that. You'd have to walk with life through with me to understand that kind of depth and intimacy. The love that Jesus has for the world, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus loves everybody in the world. But please don't get confused. The love that Jesus has for His bride is a love that makes his love for everybody else look like it's not love. Jesus' love for his bride, Jesus' love for his sheep, Jesus' love for his children. Um, and I, I could go verse after verse after verse in the Bible that communicates that there should be an exclusivity 
a uniqueness, a rarity in my love relationship with my wife. Including my children. It makes it look like I don't even love you. They know I love you. They know I love them. But they know that there is a uniqueness about my love for my mate. Ephesians 5, I've already said, compares my love and my care for my wife to the love and the care that I give to my own body. My body has unique needs, unique desires, unique hopes, and it demands a unique time and attention and devotion that I should not and don't give to anybody else's body. I look out, when I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm sleepy, I go to bed. When I want to go do something, I do it. I take care of me. And God is saying that Sherry, like my body, longs and yearns for that same kind of exclusive attention that I would give her and only her. Compassion and empathy. Looking at giving her eye contact when she talks to me. Listening to her when she's speaking to me. Understanding and touch and time and acts of kindness and honor. She deserves those things and I should give those things to her in a way that I do not give them to anybody else. And I'm ashamed. A couple comes and sits on my porch and I'm talking to them. One of the things that people say to me is, you, you never take your eyes off of me. I look at people when they come to talk to me about their, their world crumbling around them. I look at them in the face. I'm not checking my phone. I'm not glancing at the football game on the TV inside the, in, around the corner. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not looking at a bunch of shenanigans. I'm giving them attention because they are important. They're worthy of that. Do I do that with my wife? Oh, I can multitask with her. Nobody that came to see me with the world falling apart, they don't want me mult. They're not impressed with my multitasking. They want me, hey, right here, buddy, right here. My world's falling apart. I'm, and I need you, and I'm worthy of your attention. And the answer to that is you're right. But somehow, after 38 years, it is easy to forget that. I know some of you are, I know, I know most of you well. And I know that some of you are in relationships that are very, 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 very challenging. And I'm not saying that life has easy answers or quick fixes. Because that's, that's not true and it's disrespectful to you for me to suggest. But I am saying that we can create love where there wasn't love. Where there are sacrificial acts of kindness, attention, time, touch, words, eye contact. Wait a minute. You know what I think I'm describing? The kind of relational dynamic that went on when we were dating. I was touching Sherry all the time. I was speaking words to her all the time. I was writing her notes all the time. I, there was nothing that I wanted to do but spend time with her. There was nothing that I wanted to do but listen to her. There was nothing that I wanted to do but do things to show her that I loved her. And magically, magically, love was created. Where those kinds of actions and behavior 
exist and flourish. Love is created and is developed and protected. Exclusive care and focus builds a relational and emotional connection like nothing else. And it protects our marriages from the enemies and diseases of adultery and coldness and self-bitterness and apathy. Well, I'm going to end. And I want to end. Where do you, where do you start? Where, where do you go? Where, where, where do you, why, what do you do next when you hear these kind of rantings and ravens from a crazy man? And uh, uh, what, what do you do next? Well, let me give you, I want to give you a, a couple of suggestions real quickly. Just for you to think about. First suggestion that I would tell you is that on the way home today, you ought to reach over and grab your mate by the hand and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have uh, not related to you in such a way that it declares to you and to everybody that you are my exclusive place of delight and nourishment and satisfaction and intimacy and love. Um, that's, the, that's the first thing I would say. Just reach over and grab them by the hand and look them in the face and swallow your stupid, silly, stinking pride and just say, I'm sorry. I've, I've let my attention and devotion uh, be diluted and divided. And that's wrong. I know you don't feel like you're first. I know that. And I'm sorry for that. And by God, by God's help, I'm going to try to do different. That's the first thing you can do. Second thing you can do, and I realize that I am touching on which is shocking to me, but I am touching on that which is on the level of sacred. I don't understand that, but I know that's the world I live in. But my second suggestion is that you remove competitors and distractions. I cannot give my wife the attention and the honor me, I should. If I'm distracted by all these competitors, the internet, Facebook, video games, social media, and if some of these are redundant, it's because I don't really know about a lot of them. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Television, our children, the big. What did Oswald Chambers say? The greatest enemy of the best. Is the good. And I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Thus saith the Lord. I'm telling you. Your children are good. Your wife. Or your husband. Is the best. And if you're confused on that. Then you have deeper problems. And you need to run. Go see a counselor. Uh, if you can find one today. That would be the best plan. Uh, if you have to wait till tomorrow. Then that's okay. Uh, that'll work. Um, hobbies, friendships, extended family. I hear you talking about how your friends and your parents, even at our age, they know deeper levels of intimacy about your life than your mate does. That's wrong. That is wrong. That is wrong. Your children should not play that role. Your mom should not play that role. Your girlfriend should not play that role. Your mate should play that role. We've got to learn to remove all that competes for our emotional, physical, and energy, our, our time, 
that God wants reserved just for my mate. And the and device pings and beeps and rings. We've got to replace all that silly noise with tears and laughter and walks and discussions and forgiveness and challenges with our mate. We will sprint, we'll twist an ankle to get over to where our phone's beeping. And our mate is in the other room crying and drying up. And we will not walk in there. And that's wrong. The third suggestion that I make. I cannot give Bobby a million dollars today. I don't care how much I love you, how committed I am to you, how I would like to do it. If you really needed it, I cannot do it. And there's one simple reason. I don't have it on me. I cannot give my love. I cannot give my mate what I don't possess. I cannot give my mate what I don't possess. And if I want to give her passion and attention and forgiveness and sacrifice and love and peace and wisdom, I got to get it first. And there's only one place that I can get those things. And that is from God himself. God can give me Everything that my mate longs to receive from me. But I've got to go into his presence every day. And say, God, my wife's going to need a boatload of love today. <laughs> and I am dried up. I am empty. Would you fill me up with your wisdom and love and grace and patience and service because today I'm as selfish as the day is long. I can feel it. And so if, I'm gonna, if that's going to be counteracted, you're going to have to do it in my life today. But you can do it. You can do that. And I, I need you to do it. And I know you want to do it. So fill me up, God. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes. And I'm going to get refilled and recharged and repassionized. And I'm going to charge into my wife's life and bless her socks off. That's what God wants. That's the way. Can you imagine waking up and your mate feeling that way about you? Many of you go to jobs and you're employed that way about you. They know you're going to walk into the door, walk in the door. And there's just energy and passion and excitement and devotion and commitment just sh shining out of you like a rainbow. Oh, that you can work for somebody like that. Oh, that you were married to somebody like that. Number four, I think it's number four. We got to stop giving and stop receiving the affection, the attention from others. That we should be giving and receiving to our mate. That which is reserved only for her or him. Flirting. I'm not, again, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about letting the relationships in my life that aren't sherry. Meet the needs that only Sherry should be allowed to meet. And whether that's Facebook or a coworker or a child or a parent or a friend 
My, my wife and I, one of the worst things we ever thought about. She'd get so mad at Rainy when she'd come to dinner. Uh, and she didn't want to eat. She never wanted to eat. I'd get in a big fight, and then I'd get all involved, and I'd say, Rainy Ray, your mama's done told you you got to eat your supper, so you got to eat your supper. But, Daddy, I'm not hungry. One day, I came home early, and it hit me. My wife was preparing her a Thanksgiving feast at 4 o'clock when she got home from school. She'd eat all this junk at 4 o'clock because she was starving to death, and then at 6.30, she wasn't hungry. One day, I said, Shirley... Stop feeding her. Don't, don't give her a bunch of junk. Give her a piece of celery or a carrot or something. And if she's really hungry, she'll eat that. If she's not hungry, then she won't eat it. But don't get... And then let's see what happens. Well, my wife, if she was... She's out there helping those kids. But if she was in there, she would, she'd be nodding. She'd go, that's it. It's amazing. She roared into that table. Start, eat when they're starving to death. She roared into that table. Start eating. She'd eat everything but the tablecloth. It's amazing when I have not sedated, sedated, is that the word? Satisfied? Sated? It's amazing, whatever the word is, you know what I'm saying. It's amazing when I haven't snacked on other things. I'll go to where I'm supposed to go for attention and time. And I'm not talking about any. It don't, I'm speaking big picture here, okay? Um, last two. You ought to set aside some time alone with you, your mate and ask her some questions. When do you feel most loved? When do I make you feel most loved? When do I make you the most unloved? Make you feel the most unloved? What can I do to be a real help to you? I'll never forget the day my wife said, Larry, I know that you'd fight off the Germanic hordes if they attacked our home. But what I need you to do is empty the dishwasher. I've never forgotten that. She said, I know that you'd fight off Invaders, if they, <laughs> you'd do that. And I would. I'd get my shotgun and turn them around, what I do. But what I need you to do is empty the dishwasher. I'd rather shoot dramatic hordes than I would empty the dishwasher myself. But that's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. When do you feel most loved? What can I do to be a real help to you? How can I pray for you? What, what do I need to do to make things right with you? That's a scary one. Questions like that. And then the last one I'll tell you. One of the best things Shirley and I ever did. We went and saw a marriage counselor. About eight years ago. Eight or nine years ago. I am a marriage counselor. But it hit me one day. Doctors go see doctors. Dentist, go see dentist. Trainers, have a trainer. Best thing we ever did was go and had some honest conversations. We went and saw a lady who was fabulous. Oh my gosh. Named Cindy, Miss Cindy. She lives in Nashville now. But oh my gosh, she was great. She just had a way of creating a very safe place where we both felt comfortable and safe talking and being honest. She guided our conversation toward things that we needed to talk about and work through and address wounds and failures and shortcomings. And it didn't make everything perfect. But oh my goodness. It, it was just, it was, it was helpful. But Larry, y'all don't need to go to a marriage counselor. Yes, we did. And yes, and we did. And it made things better. Okay. Lord help us. We got to go. Um, I, uh, we're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper real quick. And um, I want you to stay for supper if you, or for lunch, if you will. It's going to be good. It's going to be so good. 
And we're going to have, I don't know what we're having, but it's going to be good. It's chicken, fried chicken and baked beans and slaw and all that kind of stuff. Okay, good. Um, we're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, Mick and Allison, would you all come help me? Hello. <laughs> this is Mick and Allison. They're a part of our church family. It makes me happy. Um, what was the verse that I had for y'all today? Oh, yeah. In Genesis 15, God says, And Abraham believed God. Now, the context is that Abraham believed God's covenant. Abraham believed God's covenant promise to him. And it was counted to him as righteousness. But Abraham, didn't you have to climb a high mountain or swim across a deep sea or fight a dragon or give all your money to the poor or give up drinking or dancing or smoking? or uh, what, what, Didn't you have to do no? God of your descendants forever. I'm making you a promise. I'll be your God and I'll be the God of your descendants forever and ever and ever, no matter what. And Abraham said, God, I believe you. And God said, the moment Abraham did, God poured out his righteousness on him. That's what it means to be a Christian. Do you do this or not do that? Do you go to this church? Do you not go to this church? Or do you what? Have we come to the place where we recognize that God's made us a promise? I'll love you, and I'll be your father, and I'll be your husband, and I'll be your friend. Forever and ever and ever. And we say, I believe that. And the minute we do, God says, I'm going to pour out my righteousness on you. I'm going to make you right with me. If you believe God's covenant, His covenant promise to you, to love you forever and ever and ever, then I invite you to come, whether your first time here, been here a thousand times, you come and you eat bread and you drink wine or grape juice. The grape juice is yellow. And you remember what Jesus did for you on the cross when he gave his body and blood. And you give thanks for that. And you rejoice in that, okay? You come. And then stay for lunch. There's prayer. People will be praying for you. Uh, if you want prayer on my right and my left by the windows, please go and let them pray for you if that is your need.